Well, good morning, everyone. Happy New Year. Did you survive? Uh, our family stayed up until 12:30, and then we went to bed. <laughs> and I was thinking, like, when I was in my early 20s, we'd stay till five o'clock in the morning, you know. And uh, I think those days have long gone. Uh, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. Actually, it's kind of interactive, so if you uh, know the person beside you or you don't, this won't be weird. But uh, if the question were asked, um, how do I strengthen my biceps, what would you do? Okay? So ask the person beside you real quick. Here's the question. If I want to strengthen my biceps, what do I do? Okay, go ahead. Okay, now, there's many things you probably said. Here's a couple things. One is if you wanted to strengthen your biceps, uh, you might actually do some curls and go to the gym. Um, I asked my wife this week because I looked in the mirror and I was like, man, I'm going to get really built this year. And uh, so I said, honey, you know, what do I need to do to get my biceps bigger? She said, you don't need to do anything. It's not going to happen. Can you feel the love tonight? All right, and here's the second one. Turn to the person beside you again. Here's a question. If I want to get bigger pecs, okay, what would you do in a gym? Okay, go ahead. What would you do? Okay, here's a couple things you could do. You could do a bench press, okay, or push-ups. Now, you and I, we all know what we could do to make our bodies stronger. But if the question is, how do I get stronger in my faith, what would you say? And so you might say, yeah, you might say, read the Bible. And I'm always an advocate for that. And so uh, five to ten minutes, you don't have to take a long time. We have a resource over there that you could pick up. Just five to ten minutes where you actually open this book and you read it and you're, uh, you allow God to kind of speak to you in the midst of that. Or you might say, well, I'm going to pray. And prayer is always a good thing and you would take some time to pray each time. Or you might say, hey, I'm going to make church a habit. I'm actually going to make sure that if I'm in Muncie and I'm not sick or my kids aren't sick or something, we're going to be here because it helps us to grow. And folks, all of those are good activities, and they add muscle to our faith. But if that was all that was necessary, that if I came to church and I read my Bible and I prayed, that if that was all that was necessary, why is it that so often we come to church year after year after year, and in the midst of that, we ask the question, why do I suffer, though, from spiritual weakness as often as I do? I ask that question of myself often as I'm going through my week. Why do I suffer from spiritual weakness? Why do I walk around feeling like I'm weak in my faith? I mean, I know that God loves me. I I know that God has limitless power to do anything in this world, in my life. And yet there are many times when I walk through and I feel discouraged or downtrodden. Have you ever felt that way before? Where you just feel a little weak in your faith. Sometimes I uh, 
will ask my que- the question, why do I worry so much instead of praying? Why do I have so much fear in my life rather than having confidence? Why is it that I don't take more risk in following God? And many times, I'll just say, if I was only a little bit stronger, if I was only a little bit stronger... Now, to help us today in this whole concept of how we get stronger in our faith, I want to take us on a field trip. How many loved field trips in school? Raise your hand. Okay. And those who didn't raise their hand, what do we call them? Liars. You're a liar. Now, uh, some of you that are new today, very first time, you're like, hey, it took all the guts I had to come here, and I get here and you call me a liar. Just know I didn't call you that. Somebody out there did. Okay. (laughs) But we love field trips, and uh, I want us to begin our field trip today with this big idea, and I hope that it'll stay on the front of your uh, brain during this whole time and this week. And this is our big idea this morning. God promises power along the way. God promises power along the way. In fact, let's say that out loud together, all in one voice. God promises power along the way. And our trip this morning is going to begin in the pages of the Bible, and we're going to begin in the country of Egypt. Now, in college, I was actually able to take a field trip. I actually got three credit hours for this. It was the best thing in the world. I had to pay two grand, but I got three credit hours for going to Egypt. And I think we have a picture of me there. Look at that stud. It's like bunch and then, you know, the pyramids. What, what more could you want on your first Sunday here? All right. So the story I'm going to tell you, take that off before people get sick. Uh, the story I'm going to tell you this morning begins in Egypt. And God's people, the Israelites, are his chosen people. And this field trip begins with an exodus, an exodus to the Red Sea. Now, for 400 years, God's people have been slaves. They had always had to do what someone else told them to do for over 400 years. So sometimes when I look at my kids, I'm like, I only ask you to do something for four minutes. You want 400 years? But these people were were slaves. They had to do anything and everything for over 400 years. And finally, God had had enough. He said, these are my people. You're not going to do that. And so he sends these plagues, ten plagues, on the ruler named Pharaoh and Egypt. And then within these ten plagues, the last plague, Pharaoh's son actually dies. And when that happens, he turns to Moses, who is the leader of God's people, and he says, you can leave Egypt now. Take your people. You can get out of here. You've been wanting to get out of here. Leave. You're free at last. The 400 years is over. Go. And so Moses and the Israelites, they begin to start heading towards the promised land. Well, all of a sudden, Pharaoh, after he's mourning his son's loss, he wakes up and he's like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? I mean, if I just let... These slaves go. Now I'm not going to have any workers to do the jobs that no one else wants to do, that I don't want to do. And the Israelites were not just a small little group of 50 people now. They were 2 million people. 
faithful, strong. And so he calls the National Guard and he says, hey guys, I want you to go and to follow those people and bring them back because we need them so that our economy doesn't go into a recession. And so all of a sudden the National Guard, they take off. They're heading after the Israelites and they're bearing down on them. In a matter of hours, they're right behind them because the snail pace, that two million people it would take to go this distance. Now, when God's people, the Israelites, realize what's happening, they start to panic and they fall apart at the seams. They're approaching the banks of this uncrossable body of water called the Red Sea that's in front of them. And behind them are the Egyptians bearing down. And it's got all of the markings of a mass slaughter that's going to happen. So they cry out to Moses. And they give, them, they give him their concerns. And in Exodus chapter 14, he basically says this. Everything's all right. Everything's going to be all right. Don't worry. It's all good. God is going to show up. God is going to intercede. He is telling us, just keep walking. Keep marching toward the Red Sea. And God is going to show up and he's going to do something from here to there. Now let's just stop there for a moment. If your leader, as you're getting ready to go to this large body of water, tells you, It's going to be all right. There's no problem. God's going to come through. And the National Guard is behind you getting ready to kill you and your kids and everything else. How much comfort do you feel? None. You're not happy about that at all. And yet God was saying, just trust in me. Just trust in me. If you trust in me, once you get to the water's edge, I'll intervene. You'll see. Now, the reality is, every single person in this place, we want to receive God's power while we're sitting on the couch, don't we? We don't want to have to get up and walk and have to do something or take a risk or have to confront somebody. We don't want to do that at all. We want God's power on the front side of everything. Before the crisis, before the showdown, before the conversation that you have to have with someone. But in this passage, God promises, I'm going to give you power, but you're going to have to start walking first. I'll give you power to walk. I'll give you the power along the way. Well, some of you know how the story ends. The Israelites get all the way up to the Red Sea. And uh, this is a picture of it there that you've probably been seeing the whole time. But he gets all the way to the edge. And they're barreling down on him. And God parts the Red Sea in a miracle. And the Israelites walk safely across. And the Pharaoh's National Guard comes right behind them. And it doesn't end so well for them. As soon as the Israelites get on the other side, The other waters come in. God releases his grip. The waters come in and the Egyptians are gone. And God delivered exactly what he said along this journey. Strength along the way. Again, folks, what's our big idea this morning? Let's say it out loud again. God promises power along the way. Here's the next little sightseeing field trip for you uh, this morning. is a story where Joshua 
who is leading God's people now. So Moses led him first, and then uh, Moses hands it off to Joshua, and Joshua is leading the people to the promised land. But they come to the Jordan River, and unfortunately they can't get across. In Joshua chapter 3, he leads them all the way, and they get to this river, and this entire nation has been longing to get across this river for 40 years. Think about that. For 40 years, they literally were making a circle, just going around in a circle for 40 years until finally God said, we're not going to do that anymore. I'm actually going to get you into the promised land. And Joshua, I'm going to use you to do this. But there's one problem. When they get up to the Jordan River, it's not real, real low. It's that flood stage. It's outside its banks. It's flooding over. There's no way anyone could cross. Maybe there was one area that they could, but now they can't. It's all a big flood. And all of these people who've been walking for 40 years are like, this is the way it's going to end. We're not going to get to the promised land. And God says, no problem. Joshua, just organize everybody. Get them all together and take the Ark of the Covenant before them and go right into the swirling waters. Now, I went whitewater rafting in West Virginia about 10 years ago, and I fell out of the boat one time, and I thought I was going to die. Now, all of a sudden, you have these rapids that are going in front of you, and Joshua gets up there, and he says, Hey, everybody, don't worry. Just start walking in this uh, big rapids, and God's going to show up. Now, again, how many people were... Claimed Israelites? How many? Two million. So there's two million people that are walking. Well, if you're like number 500,000, you're like, yes, God, I believe. 500,000, I'm miles away from this, I believe. But if you're number five and you're already in the water, you're like, okay. What's up with this? How about plan B, God? Plan B. My kids are going to die. Everybody's going to die. This is not a good idea. But then God does something amazing. He intercedes. He stops the water on both sides. The Israelites walk right across the Jordan River at flood stage. And they enter the promised land. And God fulfilled exactly what he promised he would do. Because again, our big idea, what is it again? Here it is. Come up on the side screen. God promises power along the way. God promises power along the way. Here's our next little field trip jump. We're going to go to the New Testament, the second half of the Bible. We're going to Jesus' first miracle. It's in John chapter 2. Jesus comes to this wedding. Everyone's partying. Everyone's having a good time. Bridegroom, everybody's good. And then all of a sudden, they run out of wine. And it's an embarrassment to the bride's family. So Jesus goes ahead and he tells a few of the servants to go and to get these six big containers of water and to bring them to him. And they all comply and they bring them there. And then he says, well, what I want you to do is get some pitchers and dip some of the water. And then I want you to take it to the wine taster. Say what? Jesus, what are you talking about? 
No, no, no. I want you to go ahead and dip your pitcher into those big containers of water. And I want you to walk it to the wine taster. And I'm sure those servants at that point were thinking to themselves, we know what he's going to say. You know what he's going to say? It's water. Like you're going to make us look foolish, Jesus. But there was something about his eyes when he said it to them in such a way that they're like, okay, we'll do it. And somehow along the way, it turned from water into wine. And they get it to the wine taster. And the wine taster, he takes it. And all of a sudden he's like, dude, where have you been hiding this stuff at? I mean, everyone's half blitz now, you know? You could at least brought that to us at the very beginning. And they start taking a drink. They're like, this is amazing. You had those wine coolers, those cheap, generic wine coolers. And you could have given us this? Again, folks, what's the big idea? That God promises power along the way. Last stop on our field trip, Luke chapter 17. And this is one of my uh, favorite scriptures. There's ten men who have leprosy. Leprosy was a disease of the skin that eventually attacked the nervous system. So kind of uh, MS meets horrible skin disease. And these ten lepers are there and they notice that Jesus is walking over the hill. And they see him. And they look at each other and they're like, hey, do you think he'll actually stop and connect with us? Because this is the thing. Leprosy was like AIDS in the 1980s. Now, if you weren't born in the 1980s, you're like, I don't care, you know. But if you were in the 1980s, do you remember the fear of that? Like if there was anyone who even remotely had it close, like Ryan White, remember that story? And people just didn't want to be around that because there was all this fear. And so leprosy was like that. And so what they did was they took all the lepers. And if you had leprosy, you had to leave your family. You had to leave your job. You had to have no contact with anyone except people who had leprosy. It was like a refugee camp just for the lepers. And nobody, especially religious leaders, who had to be clean because all the purification rites of the religious rules, that they'd never be around them. But one of the lepers is like, well, let, let's see if Jesus will do it. I mean, it doesn't hurt asking, does it? I mean, we all have leprosy. We're all in this colony together. We're just going to die slowly. So let's go ask him. So they actually start shouting, the scripture says. They shout. It's interesting. Why do you think they have to shout to Jesus? Because they can't be near anybody else. They're in a colony away from everybody else. It's like a fence. And you're yelling out, Jesus, Jesus. And they finally say, have mercy on us. Do a miracle. Heal us. Do something. To which Jesus replies, he says this, go show yourselves to the priest. (laughs) Serious? Jesus, do you see all that it took for us to even call out to you? And this is your solution for us, that we should go show ourselves to the priest? Oh, that's great. I'm going to get out of here. Everyone's not going to be around me. It's going to be like the parting of the Red Sea because no one wants to get leprosy. And as I'm walking to the city, I'm going to get to the priests who are kind of like the health department. And when I finally get to the health department, what are they going to say? 
you got leprosy. I already know I got leprosy. Jesus, why are you doing this? Hey, Jesus, I got a better idea. We want your, dis- your power to di- be displayed now, and then we'll start walking toward the high priest. And Jesus says, that's not the way that it works. No display of power until you start walking in the direction that I tell you to go. No power unless you start walking the direction I tell you to go. And I always think about this part in this section that maybe just one of them said, hey, fellas, I know it doesn't make sense. I know they're going to make fun of us again, and it's going to create more illness for us because now we have to go through there, and it's going to mess our bodies up and everything. But I don't know. I just have a feeling that maybe from here to there, Jesus might actually do something, so I'm in. I'm going for it. And then I love the way that the scripture says it in verse 14. Look at what it says. It says, and as they were what? What's it saying? What were they doing? They actually had to take an action, right? As they were going, they were what? They were healed. One last time, our big idea, everyone, out loud, let's say it together. God promises power along the way. Folks, Scripture is very clear about this, that God is more than willing to intervene supernaturally in your life, providing that you're first willing to get in motion. That if you just put one foot in front of the other and you start walking in the general direction of God, it doesn't have to be perfect, it doesn't have to be the exact thing, but in the general direction of God and you obey Him, God shows up and gives you power along the way. And that strength along the way has been a game changer. It's been a game changer in my life as I've gotten power along the way. If you would, I'd like to just share a a couple of personal stories to kind of show you how I've experienced this power along the way. In my early 20s, I looked like this. If you look like this, you don't get the hottest girl on college campuses, okay? But for some reason, when I went to Egypt, I met the girl that was on the camel, and we fell in love. And she was hot. I mean, hotter than hot. She was hot you know? And so... I got involved in a relationship with her, and then all of a sudden, I started changing, and I became a different person, and all the things that I had been raised with and everything of godly nature started to go away from my life. Now, again, did I I tell you she was attractive? She was very, very attractive, and, you know, all the guys in the college dorms, you know, if you're a guy and you're in a college dorm, they're all like right there. They're like, dude, how did you get her? Like, we know what you look like. You are no Tom Cruise, okay? You're more like Dick the Bruiser, you know? It's like, you're just ugly. See, see, two generations right there I just hit. But, man, she built my ego up, and every time she was on my arm, by the way, you know what ego stands for? Edging God out. Edging God out. Every time you get a big ego... What you do is you just edge God out, and that's what I was doing. 
And I began to change. And all of a sudden, I noticed that I had no moral compass anymore. It was just whatever compass, I, whatever direction I wanted to go. Other people actually would come up and say, man, this relationship isn't good for you, dude. I was like, ah, forget you. I just ignored everybody else. Well, the relationship got worse and worse and worse until finally I looked in the mirror one day, literally. I looked in the mirror. I was rooming with, four, with three other guys. I looked in the mirror, and I thought, man, I don't like the person I'm becoming. I don't like the person I'm becoming. She even talked about marriage and let's go to school to do our master's degree. Let's do anything. And I hadn't really been connecting with God at all. So if you're here this morning and it's like, man, I haven't really connected in a while. I just kind of desperately shouted out to him after months and months of ignoring him. I was like, God, how can, how can this relationship make it? And I just sensed in my spirit, get out. Get out. Get out before it's too late. And it took all the guts that I had. But I left this house that I was living with these three other guys. I walked out the door. I got into my 1980 Buick Skylark. Turned on the ignition. Drove all the way to her house. Walked up the sidewalk, up the side stairs where her apartment was at the top. And I walked in and I had that extremely difficult conversation. Tears, anger, everything within a breakup. I got all the stuff that I had been there many times before. And I got all my stuff. And as I'm leaving and she's grabbing onto my arm and crying and begging that we could work it out, I walked out the stairs, got back in the car. I drove to a nearest gas station. I picked up the phone. I called my dad, and I started weeping. But I wasn't crying about the relationship. I was crying because of the person that I had become. The person that God didn't design me to be and the person that I didn't want to be. But it all happened through this relationship. But God gave me power along the way to get out of it. Here's a second story. To be honest, I never wanted to move to Muncie. I just didn't like Muncie. I didn't want to move here. I was in Flora, Indiana, where there are more hogs than people and where everyone has a front porch and everyone leaves their doors open. It was like Mayberry Andy Griffith. You walk through the town. People love to come up and shake your hand. There was the one IGA store. And the funniest thing was people would come up and they'd leave their keys in their car. And while you'd go in to get your groceries, people would move your car to somewhere else in the parking lot. You want to do that in Muncie? Where do you think that car would go? Who knows? Never see it again. But I was in Mayberry, and all of a sudden, we had friends, we had family that were close. Everything was good. And after five years of pastoring two small little country churches, they had doubled in size, and 
Everything was going great. People's lives were being changed. We were watching God move. And the two churches decided that they were going to merge together and build a brand new church building. And they wanted me to be their pastor. And I was so excited and pumped for this opportunity. And during that time, some mentors of mine came up to me and they said, Chris, we think that you need some more education because we think if you do that, you'll actually become a more effective pastor and a leader for Christ's church. And when they said that to me, I was like, they're idiots. And I got angry and I got mad. And I remember having a conversation in my head with God, something like this. God, there's no way I'm going to do this. I had been out of school for five years, and I couldn't do the workload to go do master's work anyways. Plus, I love Flora. I don't want to leave here. I want to stay. I love stinky hog farmers. I want to be with them. And yet I sense this in my spirit. God, or Chris, trust the wisdom of the people around you. They love you. They want what is best for you. And if you step out in faith, I'll never forget this. If you step out in faith, Chris, I'll do greater things in your life than you ever see. Well, within a few months, Jennifer and I discerned and we moved here on Petty Road. And we moved there and Jennifer started her residency here. And I started my master's work at Anderson University, got my education. Believe me, when I, don't, I couldn't even believe that they accepted me because I am no brainiac. I don't have a lot of knowledge. I'm not the smartest person in the world. And yet, God gave me strength along the way as I went through that, that I was able to complete that. And seminary gave me so many things even outside of it, but just in my faith and growing that helped start this church. You see, folks, the reason you're sitting here today is because God gave a person who wasn't very wise and who didn't have a lot of knowledge power along the way to start something that one day you would be sitting in and God would speak to you. And give you that power. And that's what I want to talk about for the rest of our time. How can you get power along the way? How can you do that? Folks, I realize that for some of you, you have some excruciating decisions that you have to make in 2017. At the end of 2016, when it was the holidays, you were like avoiding everything, but then... The new year came and you realized that you've got to pull the trigger on a few things coming up very shortly. And you've been hoping that there would be this supernatural kind of burst of courage that would fall down on your lap. That as you're sitting on your couch watching the NFL, that God would open up the clouds and there would come down this word of knowledge to give you the strength to do what you need to do. So have you received that yet? You're on day eight of the new year. Have the clouds parted? Has there been this knowledge, this courage that has come straight down to tell you? Has it happened yet? 
Folks, the reality is, some of you in this place today, you need to leave a relationship in 2017. The relationship has been going nowhere for a very long time, but the holidays came up. And you thought to yourself, I know I need to leave the relationship. It's dysfunctional. It's uh, unhealthy. I, I need to do something different. But it's Christmas. And who wants to break off something at Christmas? Who wants to have a difficult conversation with somebody at Christmas? And so you didn't do anything. And so now it's 2017 and you're sitting here. And the thing that you knew you needed to take care of in that relationship world, you just let it go. Some of you need a change within your relationship with how you deal with food or how you deal with drugs or alcohol. All through November and December, there was this little voice in you that was saying, you've crossed the line now. It's official. You've crossed the line. Your life is spinning out of control. If something doesn't change, the consequences are going to be awful. And here it is now January, and you're waiting for this great big burst of cloud to part and for God to come down and say, I'm going to give this to you. You're not going to have to worry about this anymore. I just need 20% more stronger, God. But you're sitting here and you're stuck. Some of you have a dysfunctional relationship with money. In 2016, you took a stack of Bibles and you said, God, this is the last time we're going to get in debt. This is the last time I'm going to have to work extra shifts or extra things to take care of all the other stuff. This is the last time, God, that I'm going to do it. But 2017 came. And you're thinking to yourself, if I was just 20% stronger, I could do it. I could do it. Some of you have career decisions to make. You know exactly what you need to do. You just don't have that extra 20% to actually go and make that decision. Some of you are in marriages right now that aren't going to make it in 2017 if you don't do something about it. It needs some attention, like right now. You're waiting for the clouds to like part and for there to be this rekindled romance and everything's going to be like it was on our wedding day. And I just don't want to bust your balloon, folks, but if you're waiting for a change to happen in your life, if you're waiting for one of these things to appear, I'm telling you, I don't think it's going to fall from heaven just to land on your lap. I think that if you don't address it, if you don't take care of the things that you know you need to take care of, things actually will not get better in 2017. They'll actually get worse. So I want to recommend to you a whole other plan. Another plan in 2017 to do. Instead of sitting on the couch waiting for something to happen to you, I'm suggesting that you get off the couch and you do power along the way program. That you turn to that program rather rather than the couch potato program. And it's so clearly evident in scripture and in everything else. It's happened in my life. It's happened in so many other Christ followers' lives that I know. And it can work in your life. 
It can work in your life. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever the thing is that you need to change, whatever the struggle is that's happening in your life, power along the way program, it works. And folks, if you'll do this, I'm quite sure that as you take the first step and then you take the second step and you keep walking, that God will give you power along the way. Now, as you get off that couch and you start walking, you're going to have a whole bunch of people trying to tell you what you should do. And you might even start telling yourself, well, this is what I'm going to do, this is what I'm going to do, and you're going to do all this kind of stuff. And you don't need a whole bunch of words to do what God's calling you to do. You just need one word. But not a word that you pick out, but a word that you actually get from God himself. So here's your homework assignment this week. If you choose to accept it. What I want you to do is to get alone with God for 10 to 15 minutes this week in a quiet place. So that means if you have to lock your kids up in another room, go ahead. Don't, that's not bad. Just don't give them stuff that they can hurt themselves with, you know. We have a rubber room at our office. If you need that, you know, we just stop, drop them off and have your 10 to 15 minutes. And you just ask God, God, what's the one word that I need to have power along the way as I go in this new year. You don't need a New Year's resolution. You don't need uh, a phrase. You don't need a sentence. And then you take that word and then you get a scripture verse attached to it and you start walking with power along the way as God's Spirit speaks to you and He will give you the strength to be able to take the step of faith that you need. And you will not believe how different the start of your year could be if you just had one God-divine-given word and a scripture verse that was connected to it. Now, we've done this the past couple of years as a church. And when I was preparing the teaching, I was like, God, I don't want to do this because people are going to be like, he didn't have enough material to wrap it up. So he just went back to something he'd done before. But I kept praying about it, and I really sensed God saying, Chris, do you know how many times my word has been taught over and over and over and over again? Do you know how many transformed lives there's been? Do you know how many people who picked a word two years ago or a year ago or they'll pick today, and all of a sudden their life will be totally impacted by that one word or that one scripture verse? I'm like, okay, God, I'll do it. So a couple of years ago, when I did this whole process, my word was trust. Last year, my word was seek. So again, this year, I begin to start praying to God, asking God, God, you know, what word do you want to give to me? And I was spending this time doing this. And to be honest, when I sensed the word, he didn't say it audibly, but just in my spirit. When I sensed the word, I thought to myself, I don't want that word. I don't like this word. And then I did the thing that human beings all, all the time do. God, let me pray about it. Isn't that the weirdest thing you could ever say to the one who knows everything? Let me pray about it. I already know what you're going to say. 
You're just trying to not do what I'm asking you to do. You don't want this word. No, God, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. This struggle back and forth, back and forth. Well, finally, I was like, all right, God, if you want this word for my life, I'm open to it. And so this is my word. Prune. Prune. I didn't say prude. Some of you are like, you're a prude. We already know that, okay? I didn't say that. The word is prune, okay? And when I got that word, I thought, no one likes to be pruned. No one likes to be pruned that I know of. And then all of a sudden, God took me to a scripture in John 15, 2, and it says this. God prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more. I'd always run away from this scripture before because I was always fearful of being pruned. Like, you know, that's a very painful process, you know, to be pruned. And I was like, ah, I, don't, I don't want that. But then in this verse it says, you're already bearing fruit. I'm happy about that. I need to prune you, though, so that you can produce even more. So that's my word. So here's my question to you. What's your word? Some of you are like, I don't know. You just asked me. You're right. I did. So you take 10 or 15 minutes this week and you try to sense the best way you can. And you may have a word and it may change or something different. But try to find a word that's going to guide your life in this next year so that you have power along the way as you move. And then what I would like to encourage you to do is to actually email me whatever your word is or your scripture verse and I want to pray for you. And I'll pray for you in that moment and give you some encouragement but you just send it to chris at the jar.org and watch your word and watch your verse. And you might like, how do I find a verse? I don't even know how. Have you ever heard of this little thing called Google? You just put serving in the Bible. And then all of a sudden you'll get 20 serving things. And you might look at a, a don't pick the first one, because you might look at it and be, that's stupid. It means nothing for me. Well, don't pick that one. Keep on going down until you find one. But 10 to 15 minutes where you do that. And then put that word somewhere that you remember it. Put it in your da- on your dashboard. Write it in lipstick if you need to on the, you know, mirror. If you're real bold, go get a tattoo. We haven't had anybody do that in three years. If you do that, you get 50 bucks, okay? I'll give it to you, I promise. You get a word? Some of you, I'm worried what your words are going to be, though, but anyways. For me, this is what I've done. Right to my bedside, I have this little plaque, and I put it right there. I did last night. And every morning that I wake up and every morning or every evening I go to bed, I'm Reminded of what God's going to do in my life so that I produce more fruit. Folks, one powerful word could change your life. So the question really becomes, what's your word? Maybe your word's relationship. You need to get out of a relationship. You need to confront a relationship. You've been holding this back, not doing anything about it, and this would be the year. And if you do that, if you do that, God will give you power along the way. For others of you, your word might be recovery. This Thursday, when you get off of work, what you should do 
is drive here to the Y and park your car in the parking lot and then say, God, give me the strength that I need to take the few steps into the building, down the hallway, into the large exercise room, and I could be a part of Celebrate Recovery. And there'll be people that when you take that walk that will be there to welcome you. And so if you struggle with substance abuse, or you struggle with depression or an eating disorder or you have some hurt or habit that is destroying your life that you really want to have changed. I know it's going to take a lot of guts. It took me a lot of guts the very first time that I took it. It it takes a lot of guts to be able to be a part of a program. But you can do it. And when you walk into that room, you'll be greeted by people who want to get better too. But nothing ever happens, folks, if you just sit on the couch. You'll be at the same place that you've always been. But if you get off the couch and you start walking in the general direction that God wants you to go to, He will give you power along the way. Others of you, your word might be freedom. You've had such a struggle with finances and money and not being able to do it right, and you feel so in debt, and you should sign up for a Financial Peace University class. It's coming up in less than a month. You could sign up right now online or at the resource table, and you could do money differently so that you don't pass this on to your kids or your grandkids. You could fix the dysfunction in 2016 that you've experienced, and you could have 2017 to be a victory year as God gives you power along the way. For others of you, your word is grow. To be honest, you haven't spiritually grown in a long time. Maybe you're back at church, you haven't been for a while. Maybe you've been coming, but you just haven't been doing anything. And you could spiritually grow. And I'll tell you, the the first commitment I try to encourage people, just make church a habit. If you're in Muncie, there isn't 20 other things going on, just make it a habit to be here. Good habits over time, folks, create good people. And you're good people and you want to be better people. And so you do that. Or you say, hey, I'm going to start reading the Bible and you could go over to the resource table and get something. Or whatever that is, but you make a commitment to say, I'm going to grow. I don't want to be in a stale, stagnant place anymore. I'd like to close with this. On the night before Jesus went to the cross. He was in a garden. And as he was in that garden, he kneeled down and he was praying to his father. And he said, Father, if you can take this cup from me, I'd appreciate it. If there's any other way we could do this thing except what you're asking me to do, if we could do it differently, God, I want that, but I don't want my will. I want your will to be done. And Jesus is struggling in this garden moment because he has to go to a cross the next day. But I think what he was struggling with even more so, this would be the first time in all of eternity that he would be separated from his father. Because in that moment, all of the sins of the world, every sin that has ever been committed by any human being, 
all came on him in that moment. And God had to turn away from his only son so that he could claim victory over sin for all time. And so Jesus was kneeling down and he got up off the ground and he walks and he walks and all of a sudden Judas comes right up to him and he kisses him. And he says, this is the one. And they immediately take him and they whip him and they beat him and they take him to this rinky-dink courtroom and he gets accused of all kinds of false things. They do it at night. Everything was wrong with the trial, but at the end of it all, they said he's guilty. And Jesus, being whipped and beaten in a thorn of nails slammed on his head, he picks up this cross and he just starts walking and he walks and he walks. He walks all the way up to Golgotha. They lay him down on the ground. Then they take these nails and they pierce or they put it through his hands and his feet and then they pierce his side and he's up on this cross and he's crying out God why have you forsaken me because he felt God forsaken in that moment because God turned away his father turned away why because of all of the sin that came upon him and then he cried out it is finished and folks how did Jesus accomplish that Power along the way. God gave him power along the way. And I was thinking about it this week. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, do you know what one word his father gave to him? You. You, 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 you. He did it all for you. Because that's how much he loves you. And he would do it again. And so as we go into 2017, if there's something that you need to start, then start it. If there's something you need to stop, stop it. If there's something you need to fix, fix it. But this is the thing. You can't sit on the couch. You've got to get off dead center and start walking in the general direction that God wants you to go. And he will give you whatever it is. He will give you power along the way.
If you'd like prayer for anything, these folks would love to pray with you. And uh, next week, we'll continue on with our series on Stronger. So you have a little card in your program, or you can go on Facebook and send it to someone. But I bet you have some people in your life that need just a little bit more strength, to have power along the way, whatever they're going through. And uh, God could move in their life in a great way, just like he made you stronger today. You know, in the first celebration, 
I uh, invited people to make a commitment to Christ, which I'm going to do for you guys here in a second. And as I did that, there was a woman that came up to me, and uh, her husband died four weeks ago. And her husband died on a Wednesday, and on Sunday, she was at church. And she's been at church the last four weeks. And God's been working in her life and changing her life. And she surrendered. She believed in him today. And I was thinking that maybe there are some of you that are here today. That you're ready to make that commitment to say, man, I I need power along the way. I want to believe in you. I want to surrender to you. And so I'm going to lead us through a prayer. And no one ever prays alone. We all pray together when we pray. And so you can repeat this prayer after me. And then when you're done, I'll be up here standing. If you could just come up, there won't be another prayer or another prayer or weird thing like that. But if you just came up and said, hey, today I surrendered, then uh, I'll be right over there and we'll give you a Bible, a connection. We'll go from there. So uh, just repeat this prayer after me. And again, we all pray aloud together. Let's pray. Loving God, I need you. Jesus, forgive me. Make me brand new. I believe you died and rose again so that I could live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. Today I give it to you. Thank you for new life. You have mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's give a hand to everybody who said that prayer. Welcome to the kingdom of God. And uh, have a great week. Now that you're loved in this place, I'll be right over here. Have a good one.